Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 137. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, what an honor it is for me to have Pamela Slim on the show today. She's an award-winning author, business coach, and speaker. She spent the first 10 years of her business as a consultant to large companies such as Hewlett-Packard, Charles Schwab, and Cisco Systems, where she worked with thousands of executives, managers, and employees. In 2005, she started the Escape from Cubicle Nation blog, which is now one of the top career and business blogs on the web. In the last eight years, she's helped hundreds of entrepreneurs to start successful businesses. Pam's first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, From Corporate Prisoner to Thriving Entrepreneur, was released in spring 2009. I love that title. And won Best Small Business Entrepreneur Book of 2009 by 800 CEO Read. Her new book, Body of Work, gives us a fresh perspective on the skills required in the new world of work for people in all work modes, from corporate to nonprofit to small business. Pamela, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm so excited that you're here. You know, I hit some of the high points in your bio, but uh, let's let's get to know Pam a little bit more. What got you so passionate about leadership? You know, I've always been interested in the world of work, and it was interesting. In, in writing Body of Work, it was a chance for me to look back and reflect on my own career as I was talking about careers in the new world of work, and I realized that having worked in so many different types of environments. I worked in, I've worked with entrepreneurs for the last eight years and prior to that I worked with mid and large size companies all throughout the US and, and Europe and all kinds of different you know, company types. I worked in the nonprofit sector. Uh, I was a stay-at-home mom. I have done all kinds of things and what I realized is just a consistent theme that comes back to me is that I love to build businesses and I love the the world of work and, and probably the part that gives me the most hope when I'm doing my work is having seen so much internal transformation in organizations from organizations that are willing to say we're really good at running our business and we know about the business side of our business but we're kind of struggling on the human side and I've just seen amazing transformations both on the personal and on the organizational side when people take leadership seriously and when they create companies that are actually really engaging places to work. Yeah, I think it's it is amazing too when you watch and you look at organizations uh you know from the outside looking in and I don't I I I used to think it 
was intentional, but I think that was naive in my part. But I just don't think people fully understand what leadership is and, and what the benefits of true leadership are. Even some established companies, what, what do you, how, how do you respond to that? I agree. I think we learn in a variety of ways. We learn by through books we read, but to the great extent, we learn based on what it is that we see. Mm-hmm. And organizations have very strong cultures. I mean, I, I mean, the paradox is that organizations are really just made up of a collection of human beings, right? That often have processes that right. are that are defined by whoever the founders were, or the leaders are. But in larger organizations, especially, I often see people who understand what is acceptable and what is not in the culture. And sometimes where you have a lack of alignment inside a company is where we might say to managers, be creative and be innovative and do things that are really going to help you think outside the box. But when people actually do that and there's some kind of perceived risk to the organization, that immediately that behavior is either shut down or it's actually not rewarded. Just the same old business as usual behavior is rewarded. And and that's really why we need to have alignment where you have accountability that is supported in the organization, where you have compensation that is linked to the kinds of new behaviors that you want to look at. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, I I don't think that anybody wants to to start their day thinking, let me just be a really poor leader in my organization. Let me make sure people are really frustrated with working with me. But often they're going to be emulating who they see as successful in the organization. They might emulate who it is that has managed them before. Um, And although I I generally hate to make a correlation between leadership and parenting because it it can be uh, paternalistic, right? Employees are not children. But some of the same patterns I think are really true, that often we parent the way that we were parented, and yet we can all learn skills to make us much more effective parents. Yeah, great, great point. It seems to me a lot of the the struggles I see in organizations – is this idea that the people that were put into leadership positions, you know, most people, in my opinion, don't get put into leadership positions because of the leadership ability. They were put there because they were successful in some technical expertise or arena, right? So the best accountant, for example, becomes the accounting team leader. And that, that isn't always necessarily the the right thing to do. It seems to make sense, but it seems like what's lacking or what's missing is the uh, an understanding of what it means to or what the skills required are in that leadership position what are your thoughts on that that's absolutely true and it is really really common and it's it it really is a a completely different set of skills it would be as if you're saying that you have gained fluently and you know fluent skills in speaking german therefore you should be able to speak tagalog totally fluently it is a completely different set of skills that which is required to elicit really great performance in an area that maybe you can do personally. And so, but the the positive side about that is they are skills that can be learned. They are skills that can be explicit. And one of the, the things that I've seen in organizations that have been successful is where they do recognize that. And so when they are identifying people who are strong individual contributors, who do have a strong subject matter expertise, they can be gradually moving them into positions where they have the opportunity to manage people to get feedback. It's where you have mentoring. It's where you have specific training programs in place and, and coaching. And, and, you know, in some cases, individual contributors can also be naturally good managers, either because that's their temperament or because they've done that in a past work situation. But very often, you really do want to make sure that you have those processes in place. And again, 
having seen some organizations really make radical turnarounds in terms of when people do learn new management and leadership skills, that it, it just everything can become so much better. That's where it is. There is hope. You know, it's like if you have a really bad situation, and I've seen some really bad ones throughout mm-hmm. the years. There is always hope to turn it around as long as you really do have accountability that is being managed from a senior leadership perspective. Yeah, I love that. I love that the idea of, of having that accountability at the top. You know, you talked about hope, kind of hopeless situations or, or seemingly hopeless situations. What what advice would you give to some of those? folks and we've all been there stuck in the middle and that's where a lot of the leadership happens from the middle and below what 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 do you do when you're stuck in an organization that doesn't necessarily seem to understand or even value the type of leadership we're talking about here well i guess it depends on what your uh you could you have some choices in terms of of how it is that you take steps forward so and, and part of this does link back to what we talked about in terms of accountability. So let's say you're in an organization that has never really supported the kind of leadership that you believe in, and there's nothing that's indicating that anything is really wrong in the business. So you don't see any support. There aren't any real financial or organizational implications. You don't have huge turnover or any indicators that might worry people in a senior business position. In that case, you could, if you choose, decide to be the person who is the internal evangelist who might uh, drop a book by you know a senior manager's desk or right. somebody you admire you might try to bring in a speaker to try to inspire a conversation you might want to try a pilot program within your division to demonstrate to others that indeed you can make a difference by managing differently and sometimes that works and and I always admire folks like that for other, for other times, you find that if really there is no support and there is no accountability and, in fact, you may be penalized for it, that's where people can start to make some decisions about their career. And they might have that then on their list of priorities about the kinds of organizations that they want to work for, include those organizations that do hold those priorities. So I think some of it just depends on, you know, really what is it that you're willing to do and um, really what is your span of control? Because I was just talking with Bob Sutton from Stanford, who wrote a really great new book about scaling. It's called Scaling Up Excellence. And he was mentioning that um, often you have in organizations when you're able to scale excellence, in this case, we're looking at maybe leadership excellence, that you have a pocket of excellence. You don't have change that happens like peanut butter spread across the whole organization, which is often how we do things, right? right? So you might get fired up and you say, we have to change our entire management and leadership structure and we need to all be doing things a certain way. A more powerful way to actually make effective change, if you have the span of control, would be to be trying something within your own division. You know, But the yeah. part that I always put in helping people to think about mitigating risk is sometimes that can be at risk to you personally because if it's if there's no demonstrated need in the organization then people may wonder why you're you're putting that effort and energy into that yeah i do like though that you know, like you said at the very beginning that it we do have a set of choices we should never feel completely powerless or hopeless when we're in that situation it can seem pretty daunting uh, but we do have choices and uh, we can make an impact you know you got to weigh the risk like you said but uh, i think we don't give ourselves enough as much credit as as or we don't realize how much influence we can exert if if we do it the right way. Yeah, I, I agree, and it, it is one thing that is 
an advantage. I, I am definitely, although I've worked with many entrepreneurs, of course, I, I don't think there's anything inherently superior whatsoever about being an entrepreneur versus being an employee. Both can create and contribute amazing work and, yes, and really enjoy their work lives. The one thing that is beneficial to thinking like an outside person, to thinking like a consultant, is often when you're in an organization, you are attached to the emotion that is related to what's happening oh, within yeah, the organization, yeah. right? And right. you're thinking about your own career and you might have had your feelings hurt or you might be upset. When One of the, the things I appreciate so much about my consulting years that I've really tried to use personally as I grow my own business is the ability to step back and just look systemically at what's going on. So don't mind the fact that, you know, Bill quashed your promotion five years ago and Jane, you know, never lets her, her organization work with yours and always puts up roadblocks. Look systemically at, it, at what's going on and try to diagnose from an objective perspective what's going on, including your own behavior that might be contributing to some of the dysfunction. Mm, yeah, and good so point. When you're able to do that, I think, it, it actually makes it more of a fun intellectual academic exercise. One of the things that I talk about in Body of Work uh, in my book is that even when we're in a situation in an organization where we don't have total control of the outcome, so let's say you do decide to manage your department differently, to have a new model of leadership, and you implement it and everything doesn't work exactly as planned or you don't have a perfect outcome, you still have gone through all those powerful steps in your own body of work in order to really experiment and go through the process. And those are things that nobody can take away from you, right? No matter what right. it is that happens within the organization. And so operating from that perspective, I actually feel makes us better business people because often we can be more objective about what's really going on in the organization. And uh, one of my best managers, I had two managers in particular at Barclays Global Investors, which was my last real job almost 18 years ago before I worked for myself. And they always really encouraged us to look at the organization from that perspective. And when we had any kind of individual performance issues, it was always done in such a way that was so dignified, but it was very clear and direct. It was never a personal attack, but it was saying, you know, when you did this, this way, this was the result, right? This was what, what it is that happened. And so it allowed all of us to really be really effective in our roles. And in that case, with really changing and shifting organizations these days, where sometimes you do have to let people go, I know it sounds weird, but there have been cases where managers who are firing people essentially in their in their team or their department, when they have operated from that position of clarity and objectivity, can still maintain tons of respect from that employee. The employee may be sad they lost their job, but they're not going to be totally bitter and feel like it was a personal vendetta if they were treated really, you know, as uh, an adult and and had their performance evaluated objectively. So that's that's the beauty of I think the process and more the science about effective leadership and management is it does end up creating much more respectful adult relationships in an organization. You know, it's interesting you said that. I was having a conversation with one of my old uh, uh, bosses. I worked for him about that, 11 years ago, right after I got laid off from American in a, so this is 2001, 2002, and we keep in touch. And he was talking about that the other day and how much his business has changed and things are so different, even 12, uh, from 12 years ago. And he, he, we were talking about he had an employee that he had to let go, and he had to. And it wasn't because of the employee did necessarily wrong. It's just because of the economic circumstances and, and, and where the business was going. And there just wasn't a role or a fit for this individual. 
And he said that he concentrated, like you said, about, you know, this is someone who was in the fold from the get-go and from a leadership perspective from from the bo- from my old boss. I mean, it was a success story. And uh, he actually got an email from him uh, even after he was laid off and, and thanking him and how much of a mentor he was and, and what a blessing it was. And so, yeah, you're right. So you can – I think we – so often we go into silent mode. We don't know what to do, and we just create this kind of weird vacuum of silence, and we don't we – don't, treat people like people and it just creates a whole bunch of weirdness that's so unnecessary yeah it's so true and I, I think part of what really is unnecessary in today's day and age is that we truly cannot guarantee any kind of stability yeah you're right work mode anywhere um, and I, I kind of you know jokingly termed it the mafia culture when I <laughs> talked about it earlier in escape from cubicle nation but I think it's an unintentional thing but sometimes when we're still holding on to a bit of the old loyalty-based yeah. <clears throat> organizational culture, not that people can't be lo- loyal, ethical people, but where we had organizations whose main objective was to keep people for their entire employment, right? Where you, it was more of a family-based culture, where you became a proud member of a company for your entire career. That's sometimes where you see this behavior where when you're inside the company, you're truly family. And then as soon as you might say that you're going somewhere else or you're interested in something else, then all of a sudden you become the enemy, right? Yeah. I think this is so dangerous, so dangerous for organizations because imagine the dynamic that this sets up. When you're a leader and that's the the set of expectations that you are delivering to employees, so employees say, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to betray loyalty. I'm going to be a totally loyal employee. And then you have to lay that person off. Right. <laughs> that can be the worst scenario because you cannot guarantee your company is not going to go through huge structural changes. And when you are all approaching it from an objective perspective, saying what's going on in the in in the economy, what's happening in the market, what's happening with our competitors, um, there are there are um, certain parameters, of course. Of sometimes, as a leader, you're privy to information before you are able to deliver it to your employees, especially when it means you know. Um, layoffs or things like that, but you still can be helping people have a good critical analysis about what's going on in the company. And I think when we're managing expectations that way, some people might feel like, well, then nobody's going to care, right? Everybody will just walk walk around knowing everything's temporary. The argument I would make for that is that's absolutely not the case where you are all really managing the body of work of your organization but also of individuals. So if you know somebody in your team is passionate about building a set of skills and you as their manager is actively helping them to build those skills um, that will help them in their overall career, that is the kind of thing that actually creates loyalty between that person and the manager. And that can have positive brand impact even when the person leaves the company. They're generally not going to be trashing the whole company because they can say, ah, you know, again, I'm sad for losing my job. But when I was there and even when I was leaving, I was treated with dignity and respect. You never know. That person may have a brother-in-law that could be one of your biggest future clients. You know, They may have a personal blog that is extremely popular where if they were treated really poorly, they could end up really doing things to, to damage your brand. Yeah. So it's, I, I just feel like it's the kind of approach that's going to be much more effective and honest for everybody. And it concerns me when I see organizations that are pretending that the world is more stable than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of amazing. I mean, I guess I've been so, that I've made that shift 
years ago. I I never. I think we all did what we thought we were supposed to do, and and we emulated our parents, or especially in my case, my father. He had two jobs when he got out of the Navy. Two jobs. Two organizations is the only place he worked at. And it's almost like it was one because a lot of those organizations that one quit, a lot of the people that were in that same organization started this other organization that he worked for. So it's just amazing. Those days are gone. I mean, if you look at my resume, it's a potpourri. And then you ask, what are you going to be when you grow up, Rich? I mean, what what are you doing? And I've even had people criticize me about, about my resume. But for me, it was more about, and some of the best advice I got from one of my mentors was like, look, do what you're passionate about and do what what drives you who cares how um even if there's gaps in your resume right i guess i'm just less concerned about it and you talk a lot about this in body of work i mean so what what would you say to someone that has a resume like mine that's just kind of all over the place and there's really no consistency but i would say the consistency is uh the leadership style that i that i that's why i've had so many different jobs is because i i keep finding new opportunities because of the common sense leadership approach that i use well, there you go. That I mean, one of it is we. It is our personal responsibility, I think, to create the narrative around our career and around our work. So, we're at this interesting point of history, and I'm, I'm really going to be fascinated ten or fifteen years from now when we look back and we will see, like, oh man, how are we ever even questioning the fact right. that many people are going to be having breaks in their career and they'll be an employee and then they'll be a freelancer and work at a nonprofit and it's just because of the unstable nature of the environment that either by choice or by force certainly looking at the younger generation coming through many of them most of them I would even say don't have the expectation of having a singular career path right but where we do need responsibility is in thinking about why are we making these choices and what are ways that we can create a strong narrative so that you do have the kinds of opportunities available to, to you that you want. I think there's two main purposes that we have when we look at work in our lives. One is to create things that we're proud of. Yeah. So we make choices about work where through our life and through our work, we are contributing things that make us feel proud of what we're doing. We've created meaning. We've created impact. We've done things that are personally valuable to us. And that is going to look very different uh, according to different people because we all have a different set of beliefs and values and expectations. But that is one concrete thing that we can do uh, through our work. The other thing is to provide sustenance to ourselves and, and to our families if you have a family. So a main concern that I have for us more as a general society and community and economy is maintaining employability. One of the things that I think is exciting having worked in so many different segments of our economy is that many people don't realize if they have been just on a singular career track about all the opportunities now that are available with people that are working on a freelance basis, people who are starting businesses, um, ways that we can now do things virtually that we never would have been able to do before, where, where you just needed to find work within your local community. And so to me, the main concern is, are we doing things that keep us highly employable and highly relevant? And my dad, my dad actually, for most of his career, worked for the same company. It was Pacific Gas and Electric, a public utility company in San Francisco. But he had like an eight-year uh, window where he worked for an oil company. Um, 
which he really didn't like, but he just kind of did that to provide for his family. But through all that time that he was working for that company, he's a photographer and a photojournalist, he always made sure that he maintained relevance in his skills. He was constantly improving his skill set. Right. He had really strong relationships within the organization. And believe it or not, he's 79 years old. He is still freelancing for Pacific Gas and Electric, right? Of all the great photographers that you have in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, they are still calling on him to do work because they know that the quality of his work is so extraordinary. And, and that is something I think that we always want to be thinking about is not how does this make sense in our past world and way of looking at things? Because in that way, we are never going to stack up, right? Right. But rather, how can you create a strong narrative? So when you are applying for your next job or you are have your own business and you're trying to get your next customers or you want to get investment funding or you're at your high school reunion and you want to feel strong and confident, <laughs> right? And <clears throat> feel good about you know what it is that you're saying about your career. That's where you need to really look at all the components about what you're doing and find these kinds of threads, right? Talk about in a compelling way how this kind of leadership has actually allowed you to really be effective in many different situations. Uh, you said so many great things there, and I, I agree with you. And I think it, for me, it's been a genesis or a transformation of you know, understanding and first of all, believing that I do have hidden talents, I do have something to say, and that the life experiences that I've had do have some some uh, value and some purpose for other people. And I think sometimes, I know for myself, you tend to look at that and you think, well, I, I don't, I'm not worthy of that, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm not this, I'm not X, I'm not Y. And it's not necessarily trying to be an entrepreneur, but to your point of finding something that you create because working for yourself I think you know as you say in the book here working for yourself isn't isn't necessarily all that um, what it's about or liberating but what is is as you talk, said creating things that that matter to you that 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 fuel something bigger than yourself right I mean and that's kind of the that's kind of the key to freedom in my opinion that that's the key, right? It's it's creating that which you want to create, having the kind of impact that you want to have in your life. And at different stages of your life, you might choose different work modes in order to accomplish it. But it's basically right, really defining what success means to you. And I would think of it's funny we we sometimes get so focused on the bigger, huge stories of people, maybe who right. have started gigantic companies or people who influence, you know, tens of thousands of others. When you really stop for one minute and you think, four people in your example, right, that you have led, people who you have mentored and you have really demonstrated to them through your style of leadership, through living that style of leadership, through the way you conduct yourself on a day to day basis. How big of an impact is that when you look at one individual who was really impacted by that in a positive way, that can change how they parent, that can change how they are as a community member, that can open huge opportunities for them in their career, that means that they can choose to mentor others, and sometimes I think we forget that, that those kinds of impacts are actually hugely significant. And and the two managers I, I mentioned, it was Barb Sanner and Chris Billiter, they're two examples to me of people who made a huge impact in the three years that I worked for them. And I can't even count the ways that their teaching through the modeling of great behavior has made me better in just about every aspect of my life. Mm. So we need to be owning those kinds of choices that we make. And part of it is actually stepping back and looking at 
what is that impact that you've made in appreciating it? Even if you do want to have impact on a bigger scale, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the only way that we can actually have significant, relevant lives. So what are some of the skills that we should be focusing on? You know, we talked about certainly, and I agree with you, that the, the world is different than it was. You know, this isn't our, our father's business world anymore. What skills should we be focusing on? Um, there, there are a few that are, are really critical, and that, that's really how I, I try to lay them out in the book, is, is identifying some of the, the critical skills. One of them is, I think, just defining and getting really clear about what it is that we want to create. I think we need to develop the skill of knowing how to create and execute projects well, because in any situation that we're in, um, anything can, any kind of work performance throughout the course of a year is generally broken down in terms of projects. Right, you came right. from a military background. There's a you know particular deployment, or there's you know some kind of initiative that has a start and finish. You need to be able to go from idea to actually you know creating a plan and executing it. And that really, in today's world of work, is really what people are going to look for: is what have we done? Right? What have yep. we created? You know, how have we actually led in concrete ways? And sometimes in larger organizations, people get really bogged down with bureaucracy and so forth. Oh my God, and they yeah. need to learn how to get small wins and how to keep things moving. So that, I think, is one really important skill. Another skill which I think is critical is about learning how to uh, collaborate and really build interesting and powerful networks. Oh, because yeah. so much is changing and there's so much new information, things that we don't know, that we need to get comfortable in reaching out to people who we don't know, who have areas of expertise, either within our own organizations or outside of our organizations, um, in ways that we have not done before. Because we just have different models of like problems can't be solved the same way that they were before. Right. And I, I think uh, even for folks that might be more introverted, it doesn't mean that everybody all of a sudden has to have a huge circle of friends. But you do need to know how, in your, in, when you're faced with a big challenge, you can identify people who could help you, you know how to reach out to them, and you know how to begin to build powerful relationships that help you in, in your career. Um, and then probably the last really important one, I think, is what we had already talked about, is the skill of storytelling. Any kind of influence that we want to make, certainly as a leader, that the most powerful leaders that I have known are those that are really have great skills at storytelling, that can understand their audience, they know what's important to them, they know how to use examples and stories that are going to get people inspired and motivated. And in anything that we want to affect and impact, we need to be conscious about how it is that we're telling a clear, compelling story, either in a live presentation or in a written form. Um, and things like that. And that's just a skill I feel like if I ran the world, which I don't really want to, but if I did, that would probably be the one mandatory skill that I would that I would give to people that would open more doors and, and give more opportunities to, to everybody in their career. Yeah, well, great advice. I mean, taking action is so critical. I agree with you. It's probably one of the, the biggest things that I see in one of the people that I've coached and even myself is the you have all these great ideas and then how do you how do you take action? How do you see the project through? And I think you're so right. I mean, if, if people could learn how to do that and, uh, and networking, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You can't do this all yourself. And I think so many times we think when we're working in an organization that we want to shine by ourselves or even if an entrepreneur, we think uh, uh, entrepreneurs, you got to do it all yourself. And that's just not the case. Um, everybody needs it. Everybody needs everybody. And uh, the more that you can understand that, the better off. I agree with that. 
And then, man, storytelling, are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. Those are the people that we follow, if you can sit there. And that's where I think a lot of leaders miss the mark is that because they, they try to they try to make it too technical, especially as the higher they get up in the chain. They think that, you know, you hear words like strategic planning, strategic execution, and your, and your eyes kind of gloss over. But to me, strategic planning and strategic execution can be one and the same if the guy, the guy or gal at the top can – paint that vision, tell that story about what we're trying to do and why it's so important. And uh, to me, that's that, especially top leadership, if they just focused on that and got good at that, my God, you could change the world. I mean, just, it's just amazing what you could do. Very true. Well, gosh, what a great, well, I'm looking at some of the quotes from your book and they're so, so awesome. There's so many good nuggets in here. You know, we're not bullets on a resume looking for a job. We're Cupboards of ingredients looking for a recipe. I love that. No one is looking out for your career anymore. You must find opportunities, create meaning, sell yourself, and plan for future or f- plan for failure. Sorry. Um, so many good nuggets in there. What? Where can people find you? And obviously, the book is out. And um, where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, the book is out, and it's available just pretty much anywhere books are sold. Uh, my UK friends just told me that it just the UK version was just released, which is great. Um, you can find me at PamelaSlim.com, and I'm going to be adding a whole bunch more information and, and resources to that in the next 30 days or so. Right now, um, there's just basic information there, and you can sign up to join my email list, which is where I will let folks know about my travel schedule. I'm actually doing quite a bit of talks and, and um keynote speeches in the next few months across the United States. So it's always fun to be meeting people in person and letting you know if you're going to be in Chicago or the Bay Area or New York or a whole bunch of places that I'm going. Um, And then if you're, for those people that are interested in entrepreneurship, I have escapefromcubiclenation.com, which is where I have about eight years worth of blog posts around the topic of starting a business. Well, great. I'll have links to all these. Man, the the book is is outstanding. I mean, look at some of the people. Brene Brown gave you the you know, a great testimonial. You've got Dan Pink, uh, Nancy Duarte, Guy Kawasaki, Seth Coden. My gosh, I mean, well, that must make you just feel like on cloud nine getting those people to, to praise your book like like they have. It definitely does. And, you know, personally speaking, that, you know, that's something I, I'm so proud of, of really having built relationships over many, many years, you know, with them who I admire. I, I uh, jokingly call them my high council of Jedi Knights because <laughs> I admire their work so much, but it, it's an example of really spending many, many years cultivating relationships um, with people whose work I admire so that when I have my work that gets out there in the world, I can benefit from being connected with their communities. Well, Pam, you're doing great stuff. You're a great human being. Um, I love what you're doing. Any Anything I can do to help support you and your cause and, and what you're trying to do, you always got a welcome home here at Dose of Leadership. Uh, I definitely consider you part of my tribe. I, I hope it, it goes the other way with you. Um, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you again. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.